Welcome to Fringe Element here on 440 Sports. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or the Graham Aaron underscore Dugan. I am Stephen Godfrey at 38 Godfrey on Instagram and Twitter. Brand Synergy. Brand Synergy. Yes, we will have all kinds of reaction to week one. We will look ahead at data collection for week two, which is what I feel like we're going to do for like basically the bottom half of the SEC in week two. Kyle Tucker going to join us from The Athletic, who covers the Kentucky Wildcats. So we'll dive deep into that Missouri-Kentucky game, which is one of the bigger games in the entire country this weekend on a fairly light schedule in college football. Uh, But of course, before we get into all of that, LSU and Ole Miss and, you know, Georgia and Bama and everything else, Aaron Dugan, Fringe Element is brought to you by <laughs> it Jasper's it just means more. Oh my god. The worst. I froze today. Whew. Jasper's just a chip off the old block of that Clemson could use along the offensive line. That Clemson could use along the offensive line. Whew. Ooh, Go to tough Jasper's this week, everybody. guys. Tough this week. <laughs> Nobody is in season shape yet. M- Monday was a holiday for everybody. Gosh. <laughs> including Aaron. Go to Jasper's. The parking is free. The food is wonderful. The bar is great. The happy hour is great. Everything about it is spectacular. It is basically Alabama. It is in midseason form. Jasper's only competes against Jasper's. They are the next evolution of the sports bar. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's all you need to know. Go to Jack. Did I perform as well today as my alma mater did this weekend? Ooh, now that is a transition. Braden, great so transition real fast. So let's lead today. I wasn't going to do this, but let's straight lead. out of the gate. Let's lead today. <laughs> I got to make an excuse. <laughs> no, you know what? Other podcasts would start with Alabama, the best team in America. They might start with Georgia, the team that won the biggest game of the weekend, exactly the way I told you was going to happen last week. Or maybe LSU being already into nuclear meltdown territory exactly like we told you on the pod last week but nay not this show this show starts with the Vanderbilt Commodores and arguably the worst performance on a football field that an SEC team has put forth in how long Stephen Godfrey I have been credentialed for college football games for either 20 or 21 years which makes me feel very old this was the worst game I have ever seen as a credentialed member of the media, (laughs) not the worst football game ever, obviously. Like I'm not, I'm not counting what I've seen on television. This isn't Auburn. This isn't Auburn, Mississippi state three to two. Oh, that was better. That was so much better. (laughs) There was there. Oh no. You, you had suspense in that. (sighs) Oh, so I was there. Um, uh, as I alluded to, um, I was there working on a feature that was not related specifically to Vanderbilt and ETSU. Um, that's uh, coming up in a publication that I'll plug probably next week. Oh, um, the positive spin on this is that if Clark Lee creates some sort of like Pat Fitzgerald esque uh, uh, tenure of consistency at Vanderbilt, which I think I think Northwestern is kind of the model that Vanderbilt wants to emulate. They kind of bristle at the Stanford c- comparison. They are starting at the bottom, the very bottom, the absolute bottom. This is the worst performance I've ever seen out out of an sec roster in an FBS football game. Mm. And I'm I'm trying to avoid (laughs) hyperbole. These are just facts. Yeah. I'm on, I'm on 16 years of credentialed media. I was not there, but I, I, 
I've seen a lot of Vanderbilt football living in Nashville for 30 years. And that's mm. the worst. Like Derek Mason's home opener was 37, seven, but that was a good temple team. Yeah. Like that was a decent temple team. So Aaron, we'll stop beating up on your alma mater here. Do you have anything, do you have anything you'd like to get off your chest? Like anything that would help from a catharsis standpoint, like anything mm. at all? No, you're well, just going to hold it all in all season. I mean, I've been, I've been groomed for uh, losing football games for sure. I grew up a Memphis fan and I went to Vanderbilt. I went to, I've, I have eight full years of not missing a Vanderbilt game in my life. Um, so to, <laughs> to hear after 21 or 16 or 37 accumulative years of credentialing plus my eight, that this is the yeah. worst game ever. That's a lot. That's 45 years worth of football games. It's a lot. Go to Jaspers, um, everybody. Yeah. So anyways, I caught the epidemic from Vanderbilt, which explains my underwhelming performance today. And I'll be back on the wagon later in the show, hopefully. All right. Braden, do you know when like we, we, we try to add either context to common narratives or we try and debunk them? That's kind of what we want to do on this show, right? Yep. Yep. So we talk about a game like Georgia Clemson and there are so many hyperboles attached, but there's, there's a, there's a kernel of truth there. We talk about speed and we talk about size and that's why it's different. And for those games, that, that's why it's different for those six or seven teams. The last thing I'm going to say about Vanderbilt is this was the polar opposite of what we have come to expect from this specific conference, which is a, which is a particular brand of raw speed. I've never seen an FCS team, outrun in pretty much every situation that you can think of schematically on the field, an SEC team. That's what stood out to me the most as I was watching this and checking in on Georgia, which by the way, if you need to transition out of Vanderbilt, which I think we do, uh, a very strange game to check in on periodically was a defensive oriented, I mean, a slugfest for lack of a better term, because it didn't feel like there was any kind of real rhythm there. I watched the replay on Sunday. This was more watchable than the score would intone. And I think that's because there, there were very easy displays of athleticism on defense. You didn't have to look too hard to understand yeah. why the game went the way it did. I, I know there's been a lot of comparisons to the nine, six Alabama LSU game. There were 45 players from that game in 2011, right. That, that went to the NFL. I, I don't think there's going to be 45 guys from Saturday night, yeah. but I wouldn't be surprised if it's 30. Or, or 35 that, that are in that in, in the NFL because because again it like I got a lot of heat from a lot of big 10 people because you know there was a lot of ugly football across the country I think and we can discuss this outside of basically Alabama or any of the blowout situations last year defenses were so far behind because there was no hitting in practice there was no full contact there was no pads there was none of Sometimes that no Some, practice Na yeah. Navy didn't even like have a full contact drill the entire preseason right but but now we're walking into a season and there are some issues with new quarterbacks and new coaches and everything else that, that, that helped that. But the defenses have been, if you're Jordan Davis, the only way you can get better at your job is to physically stand up a guard and a center in practice, shed him and try to make a tackle on a running back. We and, were trying to figure out what it was going to look like. We were trying to figure out what the super senior effect was going to be. And that is that defense learns faster than offense. And it's easier to create chaos than it is to create rhythm. I think that I don't think it's fair for an SEC fan to laugh at Penn State and Wisconsin being scoreless for most of that game, nor do I think it's fair to levy back that same accusation of of Georgia and Clemson being unwatchable. This is just kind of what you get in week one where you have established programs and the brand of defense for those four teams that I just named Georgia, especially Georgia exceptionally, I should say, is just that's going to plug and play your offenses and we can get to the Georgia offense 
quandary in a second. I just feel like we got to, we got to kick some of these judgments down the road. This may not have been the sexiest thing in the world. You were very foolish if you took any of the overs, but this is, this is what we probably, we should have known we were going to get this. We we said it on the show. It's going to be a low scoring, ugly defensive affair. And Aaron, I think we got what we expected, maybe a little worse than expected. I don't think there's any question about that. And then you turn around and you look at Alabama and we got exactly what we expected there too. The problem I have with that, Aaron, is that the quarterback looked more dynamic than Mac Jones, more mobile than Tua Tungavailoa, and the defense looks better than Nick Saban's had in a couple of years. Maybe I'm overreacting to one game. I don't know. But the level of competition was there. The star quarterback was there. And Alabama didn't miss, miss a beat at all. It's hard to know when you see a performance like this out of Alabama, really. And I think the answer to my question before I even ask it or say it is both. But the star quality and the precision and the athleticism that Bryce Young showed on the field, you know, is is that the stand, most standout thing? Or is it the fact that time after time, Alabama sets their quarterback and their position players up to be able to fall into a system that just absolutely works almost without a hitch? So there's but you can't take away anything from what Bryce Young was able to do. I also think it says a lot that in his postgame interview, what he did was kicked it back to all the preparation that their staff did, all the different position coaches talking about how their system works, why there's I mean, everything he said, everything he was asked, every question he was asked, he's like staff, staff players, team, system, locker room. Like there was, he didn't, he had the humility that he needed to have after that stellar performance. But I think he was telling the truth when he said why it worked. What's scary for everyone else, but really is remarkable. If you can appreciate in the abstract is what you just said, Aaron is true. They, they set him up to be successful in his first start, but that's normally the kind of phrasing that we would put around a quarterback who hands the ball off who isn't forced to make a lot of decisions, who's going to gain most of their passing yards out of play action. That was not what happened against Miami. There were several times when I would flip back over to this game and he was stepping into pressure to make contested throws that were not only accurate, but the receivers were running perfect routes. When you stop and think about that for a second, that's remarkable on its own because we don't, we're not accustomed to that kind of cohesion so early in the college game. Then you realize this is a new offensive coordinator who came from the National Football League and adjusted his offensive scheme to the existing standard at Alabama. That, to me, going back to him saying, hey, it's preparation. It's what we're doing in the offseason. It's it's the entire machine. This this thing couldn't run in a more beautiful fashion. It's 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 either you can either look at it and be terrified or look at it and respect how absolutely ruthless it is. I, I think you can do both. I mean, I, I, I do think that, and I personally have changed this, and, and Stephen, you, you've sort of influenced me a little bit on this, but the, 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 all the things that we love about college football and the charm and why this, the top has gotten stale and all that stuff, it doesn't keep me from then also appreciating when you see something that you can right. truly marvel at. Like, you can, mar- like, again, defenses were ahead of offenses. We're going to talk about a lot of the quarterbacks in the SEC that made big debuts. Like a lot of these guys look great. Will Levis at Kentucky look great. And, you know, JT Daniels, I think is going to be better. I think Clemson on offense is going to be better. Like there's, you know, like it's, it's the first week of the season. We're going to see a lot of this stuff evolve and, and change, but you know, Haynes King looked great and electric and talented. And there's a lot of great pieces for Texas A&M still threw three interceptions against a Mac defense. So they're yeah, like a bad one mm-hmm. to be perfect against them. Again, this is my issue with, 
I know where everyone's going to roll their eyes at oh, Bama's just the best. It's easy. It's, it's whatever, but it's, it's about the level of competition for me with Bama. Like it, I'm not suggesting Miami's a great team, but you played against a power five team with some nice players and a star quarterback. And, and you still looked like you were playing against UL Monroe. And that, I would, that's I, the problem. I would say they are exempt from our typical overreaction from, from zero to one to week two. We're all, we're all supposed to bottle this stuff up. Everyone does the contrarian thing after the end of week one and say, hey, remember, this is what we thought after week one last year. There is merit to that. Coaches talk about that all the time. The biggest improvement is happening right now. As we've discussed, offenses are going to be more gradual in their ascension. You have to still stop and respect the fact that this league's defense is so much faster and more automatic, and, and, and especially at the programs that are established. Like we talked about, Texas A&M, their defense really sort of set the tone against a high power. I don't think people understand how fast Kent state can score against an FBS team. It, it, they, they really, it was them and Ole Miss and UCF for the last three years in terms of tempo and pace and output. Uh, as, as I looked around the league, cause everyone's talking about how bad the ACC is right now. It's, it's not, I think that's a bit of an overreaction. I think you can say, Hey, y'all just, y'all are an offensive minded outfit right now. And that's going to take some time to heat up. The yeah. difference in the SEC is the defense is ready the first minute of the first day. Um, can we also just take a second and on top of all of that, um, talk about how Nick Saban was caught smiling on TV in week one. <laughs> when it's they put that leather in. football cap on him. It that's, was that's amazing. Terrifying. That's terrifying. Because you that, be very, very, very afraid. That oh means that that man feels like there's that there's less in his craw to worry about or to fixate upon, Correct. which means that things are going so swimmingly yes. that he has time to emote. I mean, you bear, you like we're you're lucky to get a good that kind of smile out of him when you win a national championship. It's, right. It's frightening. He kind of looked like post national title Nick in he the did. sort of yeah in the post Kiffin years when he had calmed down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, after he became a grandfather is what it was. It, on, yeah, not, I mean, it was after, of it, yeah, yeah. I'm not even kidding. It was after the tornado and after becoming a grandfather. Those are the two things that he talks about that sort of like gave him mild sense of pers- perspective. Although I don't know, we just watched his entirely rebuilt team just decapitate Miami. And I don't, that, that doesn't happen because you're like, you know, more relaxed. We're also, no, I know it's, it's weird. It's like, a, there's a nostalgia to him. There's nothing relaxed about Nick Saban, but he does have a little bit more nostalgia than he once did, which is maybe he's starting to kind of enjoy his achievements. I don't know. Call me crazy, but it, this, it was, it was early smile for Nick. This may be the first time that we've ascribed an Alabama win again. Like I said, last week, clockwork, this is what they do. Neutral site kickoff we're sort of handing all of the the credit to one side of the football, but for the first time, maybe ever, and this is the last terrifying thing I'll say, if you're a fan of uh, any other team, yep. <laughs> the other side of the ball mm-hmm. is just as good. We, we can talk about the Georgia front. That's fine. I don't want, I'm, I'm not, I, when I slight UGA, I will let y'all know. I'm not trying to do it unintentionally, <laughs> but Alabama's <laughs> defense is better than it has been in the last at least two seasons, if not three or four. I, I would go back further. I think this is vintage Nick Saban defense with new modern players. Yeah. Don't have the, you don't have the 330 pound linebackers that he used yeah, to love. This, this and, is, and, yeah, uh, they, they're linebackers, they're secondary. Now both Georgia and Alabama lost some pieces this weekend. So that, that that's something to keep an eye on. They lost some players, a couple of starters for both those teams, but they're the best. I think Bama, Georgia, Clemson, those are the best three defenses in America. 
Um, that's why I'm not worried about Clemson. I think they're going to be fine in the ACC and, and, you know, we'll see what happens. They might lose once, once somewhere else. And that keeps them out of the playoff. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but Georgia offensively. And again, we really, the only question I want to wrap up here before we move on to some of the more, you know, LSU and Ole Missy topics, which are far more interesting to me. Um, Georgia, I, I, we talked about this before. How, how long before we know, whether or not there's been any shift, adjustment, change. I'm not going to use the E word here uh, because we, we've said it now for each of the last two weeks. It wasn't going to happen in this game. No. You questioned me, Steven, and said, well, how could they win if they do that? And they, they showed you by playing disgustingly ugly football on defense. I was, uh, yeah, I, I was impressed because I still, I still have a high esteem for Clemson as a playoff caliber team. To- totally agree. When will we actually find out about Georgia's offense? I mean, if it's uh, South Aaron, Carolina, when, yeah, Aaron, it, when, when is it? When did we set the date? <laughs> What'd you say? We we set the date last week, Aaron. And I remember we all agreed that, that, that there was it was going to be at like three or four game sample sets mm-hmm. because okay. they get set. Here's the thing. They're going into a South Carolina game, and, and I was talking about this somewhere else. If you are a Georgia fan, you are prone and almost born into a superstitious kind of self-loathing and dread, which I get because if you look at the last 30 years, it makes sense. You recruit like Alabama and LSU, but you never win like them, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. South Carolina is such a burr in the saddle for the, for this fan base. I'm telling you, this may be one of the most lopsided Georgia wins over South Carolina ever. And when that happens, you're going to see Georgia fans actually start to exude the confidence that they probably should have right now. I mean, when you talk about and then you see South Carolina, then you have not trying to move past that too quick. But as I'm just staring at the schedule, then you have Vanderbilt, Arkansas, Auburn. So my question and kind of throwing question back at you guys is we didn't really have to see anything except for like it was just like an east west running game. And they were able to play really conservatively and still pull out the win. But when are I guess what level of risks and yes, when are those risks going to have to be taken in terms of like a longer passing game and taking risks on JT Daniels, because any kind of vertical passing game was just completely non-existent. I have a two prong answer, Braden. You go ahead. Cause I've got a perfect segue here. I want to say, I want to say it's when they see Derek Mason, when, with, when Derek Mason is coaching the, the, the best in terms of raw athleticism, the best roster he's ever had. But I'm going to caveat that and say, I want to see Auburn defend Penn state first. Penn state didn't really shoot the lights out. But that's going to be a that's going to be the table setter for Auburn, and that's going to let us know because nothing Aaron said before Auburn is going to be a reliable sample. No, I think Arkansas will learn. To your point, they're they're going to host Texas this weekend, so we'll learn a little bit more about Arkansas as well. Texas is only a six six and a half point favorite in that game, which is a small number for a team that just in very business and non Texas Texas like way beat Louisiana, yeah. um, which is not an insult to Texas. It's sort of just a strange- that's a compliment. It's it is. It's a it's a strange way. They to look didn't. At them. They, they never once pulled out the the Texas sized pistol and shot themselves in no, in they, various toes, which is exactly what happened under Herman. Happened under Charlie. No, that was no, it was business like, but it was you know what it was is Alabama esque. They they looked like a professional organization is what they looked like. Um, but I but I'm with here in and, and this kind of segues us into a conversation about the quarterbacks in this conference because Bo Nix put together again, I know who it was, who it was it against, but you, you were fascinated with what that offense was going to look like. It was literally his most efficient performance in his, in his career. Will Levis might have the strongest arm of any human in the conference and threw for 367 yards and four touchdowns with Liam Cohen. And again, I know you Monroe is terrible. I get all right. of that, 
but but it was more than just that it was it was and we'll find out a lot and you'll hear from kyle tucker coming up later on those are the two games so arkansas auburn kentucky those three heading into the florida game for georgia is when we're going to learn a lot about georgia's offense the defense will dominate everything up until that point um but we'll learn a little bit more about that about how the offense needs to play against to your point Derek mason what do you make of the quarterbacks? Haynes King at, at, at A&M showed us some really electric stuff. A uh, couple of mistakes, but they dominated. Uh, what, what do you, do you – we can go Joe Milton here if you want as well at Tennessee because he was very underwhelming. Okay, the, with you, I'm, I'm so. stacking these. I've got a response for you. Here's the funny thing. The opponents that we're talking about for all four of those quarterbacks, I believe, are all bottom five of the bottom ten in total or aggregate defense last year in the nation. You're talking about Bowling Green, Akron, Kent State and Louisiana Monroe. Here's this is the point I want to kind of drive across. If you're a fan of one of these programs, you all four of these schools desperately needed those games against that terrible an opponent because this is the adjustment. I had a very very honest, like kind of scary prescient conversation with a defensive coordinator of a team that got upset this week. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, and I was on the phone. I was on the phone with the defensive coordinator before their game, and he said, "I feel good about this year." But gosh, I wish I had a Sun Belt game this weekend. I wish I had a Mac game this weekend. I know. I, I feel like I. Will, will you tell me yes if I got it right? <laughs> uh, off the air. So, <laughs> All right. anyways, so I had the source tell me this, and then he proceeded to sort of break down specifically what it is about the anxiety that you get in August and why you need these games. So, if you're maybe in this order specifically, I would say starting at the top, Kentucky with the new install, Tennessee right behind them. Um, Auburn, I feel like a little bit, a little bit more of a talented roster. And then at the bottom, Texas A&M, more of a known quantity, especially with Jimbo and his hand on that offense. You needed that game because of the personnel, because of the backfield specifically. I think it's, it's why they play those games. I know we don't like to say that. I know we get kind of knocked for that. Um, I, however, here's the big comma. I don't want to draw anything out of any of those four games. Yeah. 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 Aaron. Well, I'll start with, with Haynes King and just like what stuck out to me about him, which was one of the, the I guess the very first drive um, combined like a run from CJ Spiller and then like a five, six for six passing performance. But during that he hit five different receivers. So although, you know, you know, he was only 21 of 33 on the day in terms of passing, but um, I thought just the amount of potential receivers, talent they have on the receiving end is something of note. I don't really know how that will develop, but just interesting. And then also there was one other particular play. It was like him scrambling on third down, I believe. He's got some wheels, man. Avoided a, like avoided serious contact and tackle. So I just thought it was interesting to like, he seems pretty agile. So I'll be interested to see how that plays out. Um, Who stuck out to me was Will uh, Will Levis, um, and I think I I mentioned this before we got on here, but I said it looks like video game stats. I took a actually took a picture on my phone of the graphic at halftime um, of the Kentucky game, and it read like 246 passing yards, three touchdowns, two players with 100 plus receiving yards for the first time since 2011, and then two 50 yard pass plays or more than it had had in the last two seasons combined. So I remember I paused the TV and was like, whoa, that's that's an impressive graphic to be thrown up and just at halftime. So those are the two that kind of, well, especially Will Levis is, is who definitely stood out to me. Well, I, I loved A&M. They had three running backs go over 100 yards 
two, three different play, two rushing, one receiving. <laughs> like, like this is the offense for for AM. I, I cannot wait to see Levis against Missouri this weekend. Missouri's not a world beater, but it's I can't wait to see that game. Uh, I I did not think that highly of Tennessee and Joe Milton's performance, but I have not thought highly of Joe Milton for three his all of his three seasons in college football. He showed me exactly the same thing I've seen from him when he was at Michigan. And their efficiency numbers just aren't get like you. If you're going to be that hype, that offense with Hypo, you have to be efficient. Um, so I don't know. I'm with you, Steven. You can't take too much from, from all of this, but it is right. There are, there's plenty of good things to, to be taken from them. Fringe element, Aaron Dugan is brought to you by Jaspers, the local watering hole for mourning and crying for Commodore alumni like me and all the other ones that also went to Vanderbilt like me. <laughs> all the other ones. I like that. Um, that's pretty good. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's not bad. It's not bad. Uh, Jaspers, go, go to ja- go to Jaspers. I peaked last week. <laughs> um, Sorry. Go, go to Jaspers. If you're sad about your football team being awful, go to Jaspers. Because here's what's going to happen in your experience when you go to Jaspers. Okay. You'll pull, you'll pull up, and you'll be like, "Oh, this parking, it's exceptional." Unlike my football team. Then you'll walk inside, and you'll be like, "Oh, the ambiance in here is quite nice and pleasant." Unlike my football team. Then you'll order food, and the food will show up, and you're like, "This is delicious and tasty," because get Deb Paquette is a fantastic chef, and mm-hmm. you'll be like, "That's awesome. Thank you, Jaspers. This was totally unlike my football team." Right, because there's a few things that make losing football games regularly, consistently, and in a tragic fashion easier. One (laughs) of those is tequila. That's my go-to. Check. The other one is some sort of French fry and sauce. Check. Check. Barbecue even. Barbecue on fries. Check. Check. That's like my go. That's like my go-to post-loss depression meal is barbecue, sweet potato fries, and just a lot of tequila. Jaspers, the next evolution of the sports bar when your offense won't evolve. <laughs> that was good, Braden. You like that one? Yeah, I do. That it felt it resonated. This is, you know, you <laughs> just a lot- need a place. We all need a place to grieve. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of offenses that are trying to evolve in the SEC. And this is why Jaspers is here for you because they continue to evolve. And they've but- got great happy hours and free parking and all this other stuff that makes right. them the next evolution of the sports bar. But I'm not a fickle fan and I will be, I will continue to support Vanderbilt and then I will go to Jasper's and drink either because we won or drink a lot because we didn't. And I will do that over and over because I am not a fair weather fan and all Vanderbilt fans and Nashville, Nashville citizens should join me in my um, <laughs> very unhealthy, depressive drinking habits post NCAA football game. It, it, it sounds like you just do a lot of drinking regardless of what happens on Saturdays. Mm. That's what it sounds like. I do a lot of working too. That's true. You do. You work hard and then you play hard and that's okay. And that's why Jasper's is a great place for that. Who knows? Maybe we might even be there this weekend, maybe Thursday night for NFL kickoff, perhaps. Who knows? I got no kids this weekend. I'm out of the house for, for the whole weekend. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. What? Yeah. No kids, no wife. House to myself. Whoa. Yeah, I know. You're not going to know what to do for I'll, real. I'll, I'll be asleep at 930. Don't worry about it. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> but I'll watch some football Thursday night, maybe NFL. Jasper's sounds like a nice place to go. Next evolution of the sports bar. 
on West End, and the parking is free. Go to Jasper's. All right. Ole Miss, real quickly, number one, short answers here, rapid fire. Great uniform for Ole Miss, greatest uniform of all time for Ole Miss. Oh. Greatest uniform of all time for Ole Miss. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've am i got fatigue as the, as, as an alumnus. I think they put too much into it. Seriously? I don't know, but yeah, I, I think they need to do a contrast of red and blue and not go all blue, but I, I don't know. I love I, like I love the two-tone. I love when teams they are should two- change their name to the flood and, and – wear all black is is this where we tell him aaron that he's entirely too cynical and the business has had an effect on his joy and happiness we don't need to tell him that he knows yeah (laughs) you should attend (laughs) old miss for a couple years and get back to me i'm a tennessee alum she's a vandy alum. i don't want to hear it i do not want to hear it today thank you no i didn't mean the cynicism (laughs) i meant i meant having to deal with people constantly talking about clothing oh yeah well Well, they should be talking about um the lack of um classy playing in this game because this is what pissed me off the most don't let me get on the targeting rant are we there yet do you want me to go, save go, it no go for it go for it I, i've got a rebuttal how in the actual f okay i kind of want you to go first so i can no, debunk your go argument this, okay, i'm so fine, mad fine. This, i'll get it i'll get it okay, out of the way it. This, get this, it off this, your chest herb street said it and it's two sentences don't get mad at the officials this is the rule Right. That's it. That's it. Oh, okay. I'm going to agree with you then. The rule so there, needs to a, be changed. We can put in some varying degrees of like punishment and intent and let just try to legislate that if we want to. And I'm fine with that. But I, I know ninth grade kids who play football better. I have friends who have children who play football better because of these rules. And this was the goal of these rules from the NFL. Yes. And the NCAA and the NFL are not going to open themselves up to litigation. So it's not going to change. There it was has one, to change though. Your ninth graders aren't running that fast. No, no. What I mean is, is it, I think they'll put the the gradient in in some way, shape, or form. But Aaron, I want to give you some space here because I do think the one on Corral when he was sliding was a dirty. That was a dirty it's hit. Disgusting. That, that was that a was frustration. A, That's a frustration yeah. hit based on the down and distance situation. The yeah. fact they were late getting to him and he scrambled. That's a frustration hit. That's what coordinators call it. All right, Aaron, well, go ahead. But frustration. It's frust. It's. <laughs> it is frustrating. But what you can't let. That's that is. That is the emotional immaturity of a player who can't level himself enough to do things or uh, control himself enough to not put other players in very, very jeopardizing situations. This happened four times in one game, almost the first double targeting call ever. (laughs) I mean, it's it's nasty. (laughs) I mean, how, I mean, we don't often see, sometimes when you see one targeting call, you'll see two. For and oftentimes they go on other the other side of the ball because exactly what you just said, Stephen. Somebody's mad. Somebody's frustrated. These are four, almost five targeting calls in one game. Some of them being a lot more blatant than others. But the problem, and I saw a lot of people arguing on Twitter after of you know this this rule's too severe. Like it should be it should start with a fifteen yard penalty and then it should go to this and then it should be ejection. Right. And I'm like, cut the sh- cut the shit because w- when the stakes are as high as as a concussion, potential paralysis if you hit someone in the wrong way. These stakes have to be high. If you don't eject guys and you we take these rules back down a notch, you cannot change the a player's fundamentals or the way that they play the game or reteaching themselves how to hit if the penalty is 15 yards. You have to get out or and change the way that you play to prevent this from happening. I'm I you guys 
have been on the field enough to know what that sounds like. Braden, yeah, I, yeah. you and I have talked about this before. If you're right there, the a, sound a, of two helmets hitting makes you want to throw yeah. up. It's horrible. And then I used to have to watch guys stumble into McGugan at Vanderbilt on Monday. Can't see straight. Can't yeah. read. Someone's trying to read them from their textbook or trying to find an audio recording because they have to keep their eyes shut. They literally look like there's birds flying around their head. The stakes are just too high. I was so pissed that this happened four times in one game. I, I could have screamed. Well, look, the good news is this. The linebackers that got ejected for Louisville, they, they got to leave the game and they didn't have to be completely embarrassed by some of that play calling by Ole Miss because I've <laughs> never seen so many linebackers bite so foolishly on some of the uh some of the rpos that they they dropped on them especially in the second half it was very insulting it's 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 funny louisville played like like the the head football coach maybe didn't want to be there um shocking hey. um here, here's by, the thing hey, by, by the way plus 21 is what you would have gotten with lane on the field i just want to throw that out there three drives specifically if lane is calling the plays i think they score a touchdown okay that's that's fair enough plus I, 21 I, I don't have a problem with that by the way um Lane, Lane Kiffin delivering like a mature message about vaccination of all people. Um, all right. So I, I'll, this is my last thing. I don't think every one of the four hits was malicious and, and dirty. I, think I don't the, either. I think the one on the kickoff return, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on targeting, but the kickoff return is just sort of a thing that happens in football. And so be, you, it's impossible to legislate intent in the moment. I, I agree with that. But I, I do think that the solution to some degree is to try to build in some gradient of, of penalty here. Maybe it's 15 no matter what. And then maybe if it's malicious, you you eject or whatever. I, yeah. I think I think you can kind of see the difference between the two in the moment for the most part, especially if you go to replay. I, I, I will say this, though. The, the problem with targeting is that we had an entire generation of football players trying to adapt in real time to a new rule. Yeah, that that's true. Not, that is not going to be the case 10 years from now. No, it won't. 10 and years from now, you will have kids that were taught this way and correct. called these rules all the way through middle school and high school. And that's what I'm trying to get across is I have a friend who writes for the athletic, whose son is a ninth grader and he is a middle linebacker and plays the game totally differently. Yeah. And that's amazing. That's what are, I, we're moving in the right direction. The one other thing I'll say before we get off of this is that it's really, really easy for everybody to be able to diagnose it after the fact just keeping in mind that we get to watch things in slow motion they don't get to play them in slow motion so it is it is a lot easier on the back end to to see something so I, you know all that to say that i, I get a, that it happens fast but it's a blur in real life yeah. I, I, yeah. even if you're in the totally. stands you don't understand when you're at field level and, and your your mm -hmm. perspective your, your your equilibrium registers in a different way like it's it's so much faster than people and very true yeah and, and this was louisville and ole miss I, do, go stand on the sidelines of an nfl game it's, it's terrifying. It's, 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 it really is. It's terrifying. It's extraordinary. Um, all right. Uh, also terrifying. Also unsportsmanlike conduct. Also all of these <laughs> things. Uh, LSU's coaching. LSU's football players. LSU's offensive and defensive line. LSU's general existence in the Rose Bowl on Saturday <laughs> night. As I told you guys would happen. I didn't, I didn't think it would be complete and utter domination along the line of scrimmage. They are not, it's almost the statistical data is almost identical to the loss to Mississippi state last year. Nothing yeah. has changed. What, what, what is happening? Like a, a little bit more. I don't even, I don't even know what the question time. is for LSU. A little bit more on the ground this time than it, I mean, it was, it was the running game version of the Mike Leach air raid yes. destroying you. Yes. Except this time it was, it was Chip Kelly just embarrassing your run fits. Um, we're running out of excuses, uh, bottom line when the standard bears in this league, who we just talked about are able to rotate out coordinators and position coaches with frequency and LSU has to constantly have these like internal fire sales where he blames everything on 
you know, it was Bo Pelini. Remember, all summer long, it was Bo Pelini. In fact, mea culpa, Braden. Before this game started and La Tech was leading Mississippi State, I said, wow, they should have fired Bo Pelini twice, right? That was the narrative right up until the first quarter of the UCLA game. And lo and behold, the inconsistency is still present. And I totally expect, I totally expect LSU to go and win some game they're not supposed to just to confuse the the outcome of, of the, the Ed Orgeron era. Yeah, they'll use their one voodoo doll a year. They'll get they always have one of those. But um, it was mm. it was just as chaotic. It's a what they looked like was a reflection of what we've thought how the program was built from the inside out all year. It was chaos on the field, just like it's been chaos behind the scenes, chaos in the locker room for the last couple of years, lack of leadership. Um, I mean, left whole huge holes. Max Johnson's pressured all night, throwing behind the receivers the whole time. Throwing I mean, behind his body. <laughs> <laughs> all right, then, then do this. Do this for that, me. That was, a, that was a post-wedding bouquet toss. That's what that it was. was. It was so extreme. <laughs> if if you're creating a rank sheet of like, what, what is what is the easiest thing to indict here? What is the most outstanding problem? Your O-line development to me might be number one before you get into play calling, although I am still so shocked that a defensive-minded head coach is having this amount of total system failure, especially in the secondary. They, they got completely outcoached. I mean... Completely outcoached. Oh. Also, I don't, how, fa- I don't how fast does that shtick come back on you? The yaw-yaw stuff, the Cajun stuff. He's calling a guy in a blue shirt in the Rose Bowl a sissy before the game. If they were 10 and 0, the entire state of Louisiana would would absolutely raise him up as as their native son and deity. And now it's like, here goes this idiot again. Here goes this yaw yaw again. I can't wait to be done with him. How, how much does the ring buy you though? How much how much time does I mean the the ring oh, just done. The, the ring it's just done. happened though. Like it here's just the, happened. No, here's the math. Mm, too here's much the has math. happened. Is Nick Saban still in Tuscaloosa? Yeah, okay. Then you're fired. All right. Mm. Um, I don't think that their win this weekend is going to feel they will get one this weekend against McNeese State, but it'll be against Coach O's son playing quarterback. Oh so I wonder if that feels different. It's like, oh, here's your first win, but it comes with a huge grain of salt. Wow. Wow. I, I would just, leave uh, you. I would leave you with the blue chip ratio, which Bud Elliott is, is so proud of. But when you look at the blue chip ratio over the last five years, which comprises the rosters that we're currently seeing, you go through and it's like Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Alabama, obviously at number one. And then you have this one outlier here. It's pretty hard to make excuses without looking in the mirror when you have that much talent. Yep. Yep. There's no question about it. Agreed. Um, all right. Uh, some some data collection this week. What are we looking for? We'll talk with Kyle Tucker about the Missouri and Kentucky game. I, I think Kentucky is better at everything than Missouri just by a little bit. But it is a massive game to sort of plant your flag this season in the East. Um, I don't know what, what you got Arkansas against Texas. I just love the old Southwest conference matchup, the uniforms, the, the stadium. I just love the vibes there. What, what are you guys looking forward to NC state, Mississippi state? That's a great matchup. Um, as far as, uh, what are we going to learn? I think NC state's better than we think they are. Uh, so what, what are you guys looking forward to this weekend with some of these like bottom half teams, uh, on the sec? Go ahead. Godfrey. I, think, I think it has to be Kentucky, Missouri. Honestly, it's the most evenly matched. I think it's two teams that, you know, as long as Mark Stoops has been there, I, I get that we're not learning about them necessarily, but this is definitely the dawn of the second act 
again, put the ULM filter on. I get it. I was very impressed with what I saw. I thought the timing looked very good. Uh, granted, they weren't throwing under a lot of pressure. We're going to see what happens this weekend. And there are two teams that I love when I have no feel for a game. I love when I have no idea if, if I can't immediately draw out one advantage that I can build a narrative around, that means that I really have to pay attention to a game. And I feel like these are two teams in the same division kind of floating in the same space that that interests me. They, they have been inextricably linked since March and April when we mm-hmm. put the Athlon magazine together and they were 34 and 35 in the national yeah. rankings. And that feels right, man. That really, Oh, I got Kentucky top 15. I'm out on a limb here. I think they're, they could be the spreads I, I narrow to me. 15. It's what is it? Kentucky by five Kentucky minus five. I think it'll be, I think it'll be closer to, to 10 or closer to two touchdowns. I think it's really going to show. I think it will show that Missouri is good, but I think it's, we're going to come away realizing really how good Kentucky is. I, this I would be that. a massive, massive win in coaching circles for Eli Drinkwitz. There's yes. a, there's a dissenting voice very quietly in sort of the rumor world, basically that this guy parlayed an established system at App State, which is very much an established system. You you go in almost like Boise and sort of benefit from it versus it benefiting from you. You don't parlay that. that into an you SEC don't buy, job. You don't buy that, do you? Like I think he's I think he's I a don't perfect, know. I, I mean, I hear honestly, I base my coaching opinions not on what I see, but what I hear from people who are actually doing the job. And it is split down the middle on this guy. I do. I will say this: he's revamped recruiting in in some interesting ways out of St. Louis, going, going Southwest into Texas. Yep. Those are the things that we, everyone kind of stood around for years and thought like Gary Pinkle, you need to be a little bit more aggressive and move South. And so he gets that. That's great. But I, I want to see what you do against Stoops in that defense. I, I, I look, he, he's, he's the perfect blend of like nerd, huge and, nerd and like cheerleader all, all wrapped in, wrapped into one guy. Cause he's got a little rude rah rah for the recruiting. He's definitely an offensive guru, nerd quarterback guy, which he, he knows. And he stays in his lane there. He hires an NFL head coach to be his defensive coordinator. There's a lot that he's doing well. So I'm on the one half that, that likes what he, what I see. He's, um, he's the camp counselor youth group guy, but, but also does will go to the crazy party with your right. friends, but he's DD. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's Eli amazing Drinkwitz, analogy. designated driver of SEC head football coaches. <laughs> maybe maybe some of my metaphor comes from the coaching convention. I'll leave it at that. There you go. Uh, South Carolina at East Carolina. East Carolina, two-point favorite. Vanderbilt, an underdog to Colorado State. Tennessee, oh, an underdog oh. to, to Pittsburgh. The three worst teams in the SEC, all underdogs. Two of them to G5 teams. Pitt is it? Pitt, Pitt's a good game. That pit, the pit Tennessee yeah. styles clash, etc. Like I, like Styles makes fights. Okay, down with that. Those other two are trash. <laughs> so bad. Steve Adazio might get fired from Colorado State if he keeps it up after two years. And we didn't even really play a year last year. This is a terrible, terrible football team going to play another terrible, terrible football team. How is ECU I'm a sorry, favorite? Aaron. I'm sorry, Aaron. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just sorry. Like I don't. Like... I, I have a realistic, healthy grasp of what's happening. I, um, I, Aaron, I would like to say this. I think he was the right hire. I do too. Mm-hmm. I do too. I know. I, I, this is not a referendum. He has coached one game, and there was some atrophy in the, in McGugan. Can we say that there was some atrophy going on? And he has a lot of work in front of him. I know. I think, and I think he knew that coming in. I'm not really sure if anyone could have. Pre- no one really thought this was going to happen. Right. Yeah. Um, throw that stadium up, make it awesome, and sell liquor because I'm going to yeah. need it for the next calendar year. No, but I, you're right. Clark Lee was the right hire. I just think this is really showing. And I, I knew it was worse maybe than even looked on paper, although it looked bad there. This program was starting at z- like 
as close to zero as you can get for an SEC yeah. school. Yeah. It's complete rebuild. Although all the way Beamer, Shane Beamer, not not as not as uh, ideal a hire in my opinion. You better not lose DCU, bro. Although, mm-hmm. I, although I did, I agree with that. Although I did get a few text messages on Saturday from some high-level Vanderbilt boosters that were just—it was just two words: Will Healy. <laughs> so, so too uh, late is my response. Who, of course, too who of late. course, too late. Who of course, Charlotte beat Duke on Friday evening. So, uh, all right. Anything else, you guys? Uh, I think we're going to learn a ton about Tennessee, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Missouri, Kentucky, South Carolina. Not sure we're going to learn a whole lot about Georgia. They host UAB, A and M's at Colorado. Okay, all right. That's in Denver, but uh, okay, that's that's interesting. Mildly. So we'll learn a few things there. But basically, this is about accumulating data this weekend and. We'll have a whole lot more to look at and to understand the breakdown next week. Right. Is everybody on, on the same page here? Totally. Right. Great. All right. On that note, uh, Stephen, thank you always as, for hanging out. Aaron, always a pleasure. Uh, of course, when we come back here on Fringe Element, you will hear my conversation with the athletics, Kyle Tucker covering Kentucky and Mizzou right here on the Full 40 Sports Network. Kyle, great to see you, man. Welcome to the show. We do appreciate you giving us a few minutes of your time. How are you, sir? Good, man. Thanks for having me. So week two, and I think I could argue outside of maybe one or two games nationally, Missouri and Kentucky is probably the biggest football game um, maybe anywhere in the country. And that's probably going to come as a surprise to a lot of people who aren't SEC fans. But I look at these two teams and I see two teams with top 25 potential that could challenge Georgia or Florida potentially if things fall their way in the East. And I have no clue what to make of the game. I think both teams are fairly even. What did you learn about Kentucky or Missouri in week one? And and do you agree that this is a monstrous game for both programs as far as what their season will look like? Yeah, no, I think it's a, a, a huge game in the East. I think it's like a, an opportunity to sort of plant your flag that you're the you know, at least challenging to be the second best team in the East, you know, and maybe at least be in position. I, don't, I really don't think anybody's on Georgia's level, anybody else in, in the East. And it all comes down to recruiting. Like these schools that we're talking about, Kentucky and Missouri, they've recruited better. Kentucky's recruited better under Mark Stoops than they've ever recruited since Bear Bryant. Um, but it's still, there's like the gap, like they've closed the gap on everybody else. It's why Kentucky has climbed three or four rungs in, in the SEC but there's like Georgia way up here. Um, I I do think this is a chance though for either of them, Kentucky or Missouri to sort of stake their claim this year as, you know, we're, we're the second best team in the East. Who's going to try to challenge Georgia. You know, I think that's what's, what's at stake here. And also just the chance for like a dream start for one of these programs, because Missouri's got a chance to go like four, five, six and oh, Kentucky almost, I would say almost certainly will be four and oh, if they beat Missouri. Um, they've got to go at South Carolina and I think they'll get better under Beamer. Uh, I still think the talent level there, I think Kentucky's just better. They've been better than South Carolina. They've by and large been better than Missouri, been better than Vanderbilt. They've climbed all those rungs. They've been better than Tennessee over the last couple of years. Um, but this is a chance for one of them to like establish, Hey, you know, we, we're, you know, we're going to get off to a hot start and, and try to make some noise in the sec this year. I know it was you all Monroe and they, it, you know, you're not really learning a whole lot against them, but to see a quarterback stat line from a Kentucky quarterback with 367 yards, four touchdowns. I mean, I, I know he had talent. He went to Penn state. So is Will Levis 
and Mark Stoops allowing Liam Cohn to run the offense, which is also another debate about this. Is that really just sort of the, the thing that matters with this team? Me- meaning, hey, if that, if that works and what we saw in week one is something they can replicate, that's the one thing that's missing that can put them to number two in the East? Is it, is, yeah. is it as simple as that? Yeah, because they've been really good defensively. You know, that's Stoops' thing. They've gotten the defense right. They've had guys drafted off the defense. When they had a top 10 pick. The guy lead the nation in sacks, Josh Allen, a couple of years ago, the other Josh Allen. Um, I mean, they've, they've been good defensively. They have had a terrific offensive line under the late John Schlarman, who passed away last year, the big blue wall. Uh, and they've just, I mean, it's like year after year. I never thought Kentucky, that's something I never thought Kentucky could do is, is recruit with the big boys and develop up front. You know, you, you always thought they'd have to be gimmicky, almost the miracle of what Stoops has done as he's not done it with a gimmick. It's line up and play smash mouth SEC football, play defense and run the football. Uh, and so that's what he had built to, to get to this point where you win 10 games three years ago and you win eight the next year and you even get back to a bowl game and win it last year by playing defense and running the football. But they had they were last in the SEC in passing the last three years. Um, and that had to change. And so you know, even though you're coming off that string of success, three straight bowl winning years, you fire offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach and you, you change it because you, you know you're going to be able to run the ball with that line and your running backs, which they did again Saturday. You have to be able to throw the ball. You, nobody's contending being that one-dimensional offensively. And so I think Cohen, to go get a guy off the Rams staff, was really smart because Cohen's a sharp guy. He's unproven, but he's, you know, they were hoping that he'd be on that, uh, you know, the path of what LSU did with, uh, with Brady. Um, you know, he comes in for one year and now he's back in the NFL. I, I think there's a possibility that happens with this guy. And then Levis was, you go get a guy who was being underutilized at Penn State. They used him as their running quarterback and he is a good runner, but the dude has the strongest arm that they've had in at Kentucky in 15 years, maybe more. Um, and you saw that Saturday. Now, can he, can he read and process and make good decisions and, and be accurate against SEC teams? We'll see. But the arm talent to me is like, that's obvious. It's, there's no debating it. Like he has a, a, maybe the best arm in the league, um, you know, strongest arm. And so it gives him a chance. You got an offensive coordinator who wants to throw the ball and you finally got a quarterback who can get it down the field. Let me, let me play out a scenario for you and just see what you think. They, they beat Missouri. I, I'll say they beat LSU because that's, they're already in like nuclear meltdown mode. Um, maybe they lose to a close one to Florida. Although that game is always a, a crazy showdown. You lose at Georgia is 10 and two, is that a reasonable expectation? I know Mississippi State, Louisville, you know, there's there's a couple tough tough teams in there that, that may cause you some, some trouble just because it's a road game. But is it really come down to those three, LSU, Florida, and Georgia in the middle to sort of determine how high the ceiling is for this team? Again, assuming yeah. a victory against Missouri. Yeah, and that's why Saturday is so important to me because I think if they, if, they, if they get that one Saturday, I think they're going to start 4-0. And you go, so then you go 4-0 and you're hosting Florida. Then at four and I can't imagine. I mean, you know, is that going to be a night game? Is that going to get game day? Is it going to get, you know, is it going to get, you know, at least the SEC's ver- SEC Network's version of game day, whatever they call that now? Um, I mean, the hype around that, if they're four and uh, with Florida coming to town, gives you a real chance. I mean, I think that that atmosphere alone gives you a chance against Florida. I agree with you. I think they get LSU the next week. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 the only one to me, the only game on the schedule that I go, I just don't see it, is at Georgia. 
you know, at the end of that three game gauntlet, cause you've played Florida and LSU back to back at that point. Yeah. Um, but then you're, you know, you got Mississippi state, uh, you know, they've been better than Mississippi state for the last three or four years. Uh, Tennessee, I think, I, I don't think Tennessee's there yet. It's Tennessee at home. Vanderbilt looks awful. New Mexico state and Louisville looked like a nightmare last night against Ole Miss. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at that schedule and be beyond the Florida LSU, Georgia, there's not a game they won't be as of today, they wouldn't be favored in. And so like 10 and two is a very real possibility. I think nine and three is like the, is like the, what they should, you know, I think fans can, can hold that out there as like our team should be nine and three this year. Like as the, like a, that's a good season. You could slip up eight and four. I think anything under eight and four is a total disappointment given (laughs) what Kentucky has right now, which is insane. Like it's insane to say that about Kentucky football. I know just hearing you say that, which of course is, you know, it's it, to me, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, to me, it is about um, patience and it is about investment. What Kentucky has done in football that really kind of, I mean, again, Bama does it, but it's Bama, whatever, you know, like they're on their own level. It, what what Kentucky has done better than all their peers, the ones you're, you've just mentioned that they've sort of leapfrogged in the last five, six years to me, it's patience and investment. Is that a fair way to evaluate why Mark Stoops has been successful the way he has been the last seven, eight years? Yeah, so I covered Virginia Tech before I came here. I covered Virginia Tech football for eight years. And when I, with my early years covering Kentucky, I would, I would say, like, the model should be Virginia Tech, you know, if you're, if you're them. And, you know, that was – one was patience. I mean, Beamer almost got fired his sixth season. He, he went like two and eight or whatever in his sixth season. The next year they go to a bowl game. Two years later, they beat Texas in the sugar bowl. And four years after that, they're playing Florida state in the national championship game. And they went to like 27 straight bowl games. <laughs> um, and that was, you know, it would never Beamer Beamer always said it. My story would never happen today. Nobody's getting out of their sixth season going two and eight and keeping their job. Um, with with so no think, bowl, with no bowl appearances. Right. And so I think, like part of that was this, the deal with Stoops. Like he was kind of on the edge. I mean, because he takes over a, just a horrible roster. I mean, horrible. They'd gone two and 10 in Jokers last year. They go two and 10 in Stoops' first year. And then he gets out to two fast starts. He goes five and one. He goes four and four and one. But you're going to a bowl game. And neither of those years, they just flatlined at the end of both of the, his third and fourth seasons. Uh, or sorry, second and second and third seasons, just flatlined and didn't make a bowl game. And so you're you're entering year four, and they start year four, they lose their first two games. They go zero and two, and there were people saying he might not get off the bus at the next home game. Um, and because they were patient with him, they broke through. You know, they went on a run at the end of that year, and it's been all both five straight bowl games since then. And you know, it would be a shock if they don't go to a six straight bowl game this year, which has never happened at Kentucky. It would be a record. Um, you know, he and Bear Bryant are the only two guys who've ever coached Kentucky and won 50 games. Um, you know, it, it's it's patience. It's a commitment, too, because when, when Mark Stoops took the job, they had the worst facilities in the league outside of Vanderbilt. Um, you know, they, the stadium was dilapidated. It's gotten a $165 million renovation. Looks totally different if you've been there. If you were there – 10 years ago and have been there recently. It's just a transformation. They got a $50 million practice facility that state of the art is as good as anyone in the league. I think now Stoops is putting pressure on to build a new indoor facility. I mean, they're two, three years from now across the board. I think you're going to be able to say like Kentucky has competitive 
everything. Um, that takes money. It takes time. It takes saying, it, it takes to like making a decision like this time when you make this hire, it's not going to be to go hire a gadget offensive guy. It's going to be to just get a defensive guy and stick with him. Trust that plan. Believe that you can actually win. Because I think that, is, I mean, I had it in my mind that you couldn't, if you're one of those teams trying to climb in the SEC, you can't try to line up and play the same football they're playing. But I mean, maybe you have to. Uh, you better just find a way. Yeah. Do you, uh, we'll wrap up with this. I actually just, uh, you said if you've been there, I just left Lexington actually last weekend, uh, two weekends ago, and uh, had some brown water and some some really good music at a, at a festival. Oh, nice. Railbird. Uh, Yes, it was a, it was a ton of fun, uh, especially for those old guys like me who don't want to get in the beer line. Um, so I, I just give me how you think this game plays out. I, I don't you know, predictions. I'm not a huge fan of like actual predictions, but just how does Missouri Kentucky play out? And what are we talking about next week when, when we start looking at this game? Yeah, I don't I don't know exactly. I, I thought I was I was not overwhelmed by Missouri against uh, Central Michigan uh, in their opener. I thought. I don't think Kentucky could have done more. I mean, it's a bad team. That that ULM team went winless last year. They didn't even lead in a game last year, and they led Kentucky for for a minute. <laughs> um, but all things, I mean, Kentucky's played a lot of bad teams over the years and barely gotten out alive. They they completely dominated in every facet, and that's what you wanted to see them do. You wanted to see like, okay, what does this offense look like? Okay, what is this quarter? Can this quarterback really? sling it can he put it on the money not just because the guys are running wide open but can he really deal and he was dealing and do you do you have some playmakers Wandell Robinson Mr. Football in the state who broke everybody's heart and, and went to Nebraska for two years his homecoming he transfers back in his first game right out of the gate he makes three or four just like jaw-dropping plays they gave up I think 80 yards on defense I think it was the like the fewest they'd given up in forever uh, ranked number one uh, coming out of week one, um, you know, they're in the backfield. You know, I, I, I think all the things you wanted to see, and they ran the ball. I think the other thing I keep saying to people, everybody's getting so excited about how much they threw it, 400-plus passing. They had a 130-yard rusher in that game, and you wanted to see, can you still do the thing? Like, you don't want to not do the thing you, you've been good at, and especially if that's run the football. In the SEC, you better be able to do that some if you need to. I think the fact that they, when they needed to kind of mash, they mashed. Um, and so all the, all the things are there you want to see from Kentucky. Now, my question is like, as you step up in competition, does that hold? Um, because I thought Kentucky looked as good as it could really look with the exception of a couple, you know, there's a fluky interception on the first play of the game off the receiver's hands, but they did everything you want to see them do in week one. But, but this is to me, this is like the biggest game of the first month. Um, it's the chance to shape kind of the east behind georgia this is the game that sort of shapes the east i think yeah uh, i agree man en enjoy the weekend thank you so much for giving us some time we do appreciate it uh and uh, good to see you man thanks for thanks for coming on we appreciate it thanks bud that was kyle tucker of the athletic very high on kentucky just just like i am i know i'm over my skis on kentucky aaron uh, it is what it is. But we've got one week of college football in the books. Week two coming up. Obviously, special thanks to Stephen Godfrey. I don't know. I'm excited, man. I'm excited. It, it's the shortest regular season in all of sports, and I think we're going to learn a ton of stuff coming up here in week number two. I agree with all of that. I think we talked about some of the telling games. I'm very excited to 
see how Mizzou Kentucky plays out. Um, and I'm looking forward to potential. Well, it won't be LSU chaos this week, but I can look forward to that for the rest of the season. Um, and yeah, it just, it feels nice to be back in the normal swing of, of football. It's like we missed, I missed it. Well, and, and hopefully uh, you share this product and tell everybody that when you listen to the fringe element last week, they got almost everything exactly correct. I just want to throw we, that out there. We did do well last week, didn't we? I, I'm just saying. Not I'm, saying anything. Just we saying. Should, I have no problem bragging at the end of my own podcast about how right we were as a show. You don't have a huge problem bragging in general. <laughs> I don't normally. I don't normally. I'm just kidding. I mean, but well. I'm not, I'm not braggadocious. I am. Here's what I would say. I am. My wife would tell you this for sure. Being a know-it-all is not the same thing as being uh, like braggy. Which one's it, worse? Well, hopefully, like, I'm a nice person who just happens to know a lot of shit, you know? See, a know-it-all would still stand besides the fact that they know it all when they're making this argument, which is what you just did. Exactly, because I know that I already know it all, and I know that I'm a know-it-all. So Awareness I'm can only go so far, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> it does right. help disarm people a little bit. doesn't fix it, but Look, I hear you. As I tell my wife all the time, Look, I'm mildly annoying, and that's about it. Like, that's the worst thing I've got going for me. I'm, I'm mildly annoying. Otherwise, I'm, a, I'm okay. I'm all right. Yeah, I think you're all right. I don't know if Haley would use the word mildly, but she... I, it's, it's my word. It's, it's my word. Yeah, yeah. She might just say annoying, but... But, well, I gotta, but I gotta... we all... You're right. There are worse things you could be. Thank you. I don't know why this that was an so I'm just sweet. I am just sweet as they come for the first time in our 10 year relationship. No, I did it one um, more. I did it one time and it's documented. It was last year, but when you said roll nice the thing, tape, I'm just a nice kidding. thing to me, <laughs> I, I should actually have that queued up. All right. Go to Jasper's, by the way, because Fringe Element is brought to you by Jasper's, a restaurant staunchly opposed to mediocrity. That was exceptional. Why did Thank you, wait? you. Why did you wait until 65 minutes into the show to come up <laughs> with such a great tagline? I don't know, because I literally had zero, like, I didn't even have a pause to think about it. You just threw it at me, so I just had to go. And the word staunchly was in my head, because I love the word staunchly. It's a, it's a great word. It's a great word. It's way better than moist. Staunchly opposed to mediocrity. It's great. Go to Jasper's. Go to Jasper's, where the parking is free and the food is amazing, and you can watch football games there. For Aaron Dugan, my name's Braden Gall. Special thanks to Kyle Tucker for joining us as well, All the always uh, amazing Stephen Godfrey. Also, thank you guys all for listening. Share the show. Please rate, review, and subscribe. All that good stuff. Follow us on the socials. All that, that, that great stuff. And enjoy week two, everybody. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. You want a closing line? Yay, sports. Did I use that last week?